Adam, great, great to have you with us. Can you just, for those guys who have just joined us or some of them generally, just give us a bit of your, your story. What's going on with you at the minute? Yeah, so I pastor a church in rural Kentucky, a vineyard church. I also give leadership to vineyard worship in the USA, and I've been doing that for about three years. Uh, historically, I was a worship leader for like nine years, and then I've been a lead pastor for 14 years. So my, you know, professionally, whatever you want to say, I've always been in church work. I've, uh, I've felt very connected and called to ministry vocationally. So that's, that's my life. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And you've got, you're married, four kids? Correct. So I uh, have a beautiful wife, uh, fiery, redheaded lady, uh, <laughs> Heather. Uh, she is everything to me. And then I have four kids. Uh, my oldest is 19. His name is River. Uh, my second born is 18. He's, his name is Seth. I have one daughter, Magnolia. Uh, she's 15. And I have a little guy. His name is Rowan. He's eight. And he's insane. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to divide the room here, but yeah. your kids are massively into English football as well. Oh, my gosh. All of my kids are footballers. They all play. My daughter, Magnolia, she broke the school record for scoring this year as a sophomore. So she's got two more years to play in high school. We're very proud. Yeah. And then uh, my, my oldest son, River, was an amazing center back. And then my, my second born son, this was his senior year, and he played... He played left wing, but he was mostly an enforcer on the field. And he's, the, he's my sweetest kid. He's like, he's 6'5", he's a Labrador, right? So at home, he's the kid who would come and sit with you on the couch, like on top of you. But as soon as he steps on the soccer field, he will kill you, you know? And uh, River loves Arsenal. Seth loves Chelsea. Maggie loves Man City. And Rowan, Rowan loves... Rowan loves Chelsea as well. Well, we just divided the room, but that's good. Listen to this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's good. So um, over the, the, the last period of time, 18 months or so, we've, yep. been, we've been through a difficult season. There's been turmoil and confusion and grief and loss, but, but also uh, just this sense that the Lord is doing something new. And there's, there's been some stuff that's been birthing. Can you speak into any of that? What's, what's some of the positives that you're seeing just coming out of the, the time we've been through? Okay, I'll speak to this maybe at, in two different ways. Yeah. So I'll talk about this uh, maybe locally at my church, and then I'll give maybe one vineyard worship thing. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. So at my church, I think one of the things that was really encouraging in the last 18 months, as difficult as church has been, I think it's been very encouraging to see how many people at my church are actually real Christians and showed up to serve and, and give and did all kinds of amazing work, especially when no one was looking. All of those moments when we were doing, you know, sit up and tear down and recording services on Thursday to play them on Sunday and, and just the way that people uh, served our school and, and, and all of these ways that, that People just showed up to serve, you know, yeah. and, and no one's giving them a hand clap. There's no, there's no title, but yeah, yeah. that was really, really encouraging to me. And then on the vineyard worship side, one of the very cool things, and it's, it's completely accidental and really probably came about because of the pandemic. We had just signed our historic partnership deal with Integrity Music, and then the pandemic hits. And so all the plans that we had were scrapped. 
But we were able to do tons of co-writing between vineyard songwriters and integrity writers over Zoom. And I know that when, when I say that, it sounds like horrible. It's like, how do you write songs over Zoom? But we've written, we've written probably close to 100 songs in the last 18 months with vineyard writers. And, and we're sitting on, I think, the best songs that we've had in a very long time. Wow. And so there's, there's been this explosion of creativity in a moment when it felt like things got taken away from us. Yeah, yeah. It's been very encouraging. That's, I was just going to say that. It's the creativity, isn't it? It's the yeah, it is. It's the of the, like, the pioneering and the mm. creativity. There's a phenomenal thing at the minute. Amen. So as well, just locally, you've been speaking into some stuff around emotionally healthy spirituality, some yes. of that kind of stuff. What's, why, have you, why have you been doing that? What's that been looking like? Yeah, uh, I, I think... Okay, this, like, if we're talking emotional health or whatever, this has been like a journey for my, my staff for about two, two and a half years. We started working through just becoming a healthier staff. Like, for instance, you can't be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. Yeah. That'd be one way to think of it, right? So another way to think of it would be this, maybe... It's possible to be 45 years old chronologically and yet be a 12-year-old emotionally. Yeah. And in ministry, if that's where you're at, or like in this room, this much younger, maybe you're like 24, or maybe you're 18, or maybe you're 27. But if you're stuck in the pain, the trauma, or maybe you just haven't grown up and you're stuck at 10, that will not work in your life. And so we've been working as a staff through family systems, emotional maturity, and we've been sharing that with our church as well. And we've been doing it, especially this time through, at this season in the pandemic, because people have experienced loss. Um, and anytime people experience loss, the thing that attends loss is always grief and anxiety. And, and if we don't, if we haven't done the work of growing up inside, then, then those kinds of pressures leak in our lives in other areas that we don't want them to. And we may not even be aware of them at, at first, right? Yeah, That's, and, and I think this is something I kind of just want to dig into a bit yeah. because if we, don't, if we don't transform it, we transmit it, don't we? Not Correct. only does it eat us up, but it starts to eat other people up and Correct. Hurt people are going to hurt people. Correct. Um, and we're going to dig into this now, but there's also some, there's some great resources on the, the bookstore for this if you haven't read them around emotionally healthy spirituality, around emotionally healthy discipleship, emotionally healthy leader, emotionally healthy church, stuff like that. Honestly, read it, because I think this is, this is huge in, in this generation, isn't it? It's big. Um, just... I, I guess some of where I want to go with this is I, I think uh, the, the role of a leader is to prepare people sometimes for what's coming and to, to kind of speak into that and to warn them for, for what's coming. And I, I can see some stuff broadly on this generation that I just want to bounce around in this conversation. Okay. I think um, we lead in a city that is predominantly 18 to 30. And mm. some of the stuff I think we see locally we're seeing in a much wider setting. And... There's, there's just something, I know we've chatted about this, often something happens around the age of 30 to 35. And um, I realise for some people that might not feel relevant now because it might feel ahead, but I think the role of a leader is to kind of speak into it and to prepare people for it. And there's this, there's this shift that happens. Do you, are you happy just to share some thoughts and reflections on that? Yeah, uh, my wife and I, we started noticing this 
first in our own lives. Yeah. So just so you know, like I grew up in a Christian home. I, I grew up with a great family or whatever. And then I did worship for many years. All through my 20s, I was leading worship, writing songs. And then when I became 30, I took over lead pastor. And we had children and a happy marriage and that sort of thing. And when I turned like 34, I had a, a fairly significant, you know, if you were using historic church language, you would say dark night of the soul. Uh, if you wanted to say existential crisis, you could say that. If you wanted to just say internal meltdown, I had an internal meltdown. But what was interesting is I, I got to be 34 and just some things happened. I thought I was losing my faith. Yeah. Right? I literally thought I was losing my faith. And so for two years, I would get up and preach every Sunday morning. And I was thinking, I'm on my way to becoming an atheist. Mm. Finally, I got uh, I, I, honest with a couple friends uh, one was a pastor, another was like a spiritual director. And the spiritual director laughed and said, oh, you're just becoming a Christian, right? It's <laughs> like, what do you mean? Talk to me. Anyway, went through a process and the Lord really began to rebuild some stuff in my life. And then Heather and I began to notice how often that people turn 30, 35, and all of the unresolved trauma and all of the decisions that you've made in your life, they've finally been given time to bear fruit. And it doesn't even mean bad things, right? Like, so one of the magical things about being 30 or 35 is, you know, you, you get to be 14 or 15, and at 14 and 15, you're beginning to take over more and more of your own life. You're beginning to initiate your own direction. You're making decisions. You're setting patterns in your life. And you don't realize the places that you're going but by the time you get to be 35, the decisions that I make and the, and the trauma of my life, if it's unresolved, it's been given enough time to take me to an actual place. And then oftentimes we end up someplace at about that season in life, and it's a place we never imagined we would have gone, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And we've seen that bear out over and over again in our ministry. And so uh, for people who are in their you know, early 30s to mid 30s, that's just a window at our church that we begin to actually really dig into people's lives and, 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 and get honest with people because this is usually the season that we see people get divorced. This is the season that we see people really struggle with their faith or have questions that they didn't know they had. Uh, this is the season where uh, the pains of their life begin to manifest, things that they were maybe medicating in other ways and hiding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, come to the surface, and and so I guess some of that that you're seeing is people are, they um, they have a steady job, they're starting yeah. to gain responsibility, they yeah. uh, maybe have bought a house, they have children, all of that kind of starts to happen in that life stage potentially. They hit this thirty, thirty five, yeah, and it implodes. It and, can, and people can hit this wall. Yeah. that leads to then some of those other, those other things. Yeah, all of those things are good things, right? Like uh, having a spouse, having a home, a career, having children. I mean, these are all things that the Bible would say, this is, this is blessing, right? Like this is, yeah. this is human flourishing. This is what we're here for. And yet, without growing the inside of who we are, all of those become these little heavy weights that press down on us and then, and then who we really are begins to leak. Yeah. Right? 
And so, so some of the things people have experienced in younger years, in childhood years, that decisions they've made or, or, or maybe things they haven't dealt with or processed, mm. at that point and that stage, then start to come out. Exactly. That's, and we've seen this over and over again. And so what, what are, we're seeing it. What are some of the things that we can speak into it? What are some of the solutions might be the, the yeah. wrong word, but what are some of the, the positive things that we can do? Yeah, what, what can we do to, to manage that? I, I, think, I think one is to get in touch with our life story. Yeah. Um, some of us have grown up in traumatic households and, and we just haven't even acknowledged it. You know, some of us maybe in this room have uh, alcoholic fathers or an alcoholic mother or people who, who are very connected to substance abuse. And some of us grew up that way and we don't even know that's not normal, right? Like we've just, we've just yeah. done the thing. Or, or, or maybe we grew up in, in homes where uh, there was just a lot of anger, you know? Um, my own story is is connected to a father who was an alcoholic. And I didn't even know it wasn't normal. Mm. I, I, I just thought, oh, this is, how, this is what dads are like, you know? And I, I kind of, it's, what's interesting about this is, um, for the longest time, I had a hard time remembering my childhood. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't remember things. People would have these memories about their childhood and I literally, I couldn't find it, right? And... It took a very long time. It took some experiences in my mid-30s and uh, it took some, some time with a spiritual director and even a, a counselor to begin to unwind the fact that, oh, there, is, there are patterns in my life uh, that have been uh, deeply formed. And, it's, and, and one of the things that I've been doing in my life uh, up to that point is I've, I was blocking it out. It was like a survival strategy yeah. for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like the things I did, and my dad wasn't even a terrible dad, right? He, he was, he was a, in many ways, a really good person. He, he gave me like a work ethic, and he introduced me to Jesus, but he had a real alcohol problem, and I had just buried big pieces of my childhood, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even remember normal things that people would remember. Yeah. And I had to do some digging. So I would say, get in touch with your story. I would also say, um, having spiritual friendship is really important. Uh, and what I mean by spiritual friendship, I just mean like, have a pastor or a spiritual director, someone in your life who's on the journey with Jesus, but someone you can be deadly honest with about anything. Yeah, that's good. Because, okay, so the Bible says two things that I learned late. Um, the Bible says if you confess your sins to God, you get healed. You know, the Bible says you, if you confess your, confess your sins to God, you get forgiven. Mm. But if you confess your sins to one another, you get healed. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. So we, we, need, we need to get in touch with our story. I think we need to get in touch with a spiritual friend who is on the journey of Jesus but that we can be deadly honest with and that we can say whatever it is because it's in those spaces that God is often doing something with us. And then for me, it was like, I had to, I had to unwind some of my own historic stories. So like, for instance, my father gave me an, in, an incredible work ethic. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm like a busy bee, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 8, if you're into that. <laughs> like, it doesn't get too hard for us. 
Like we just grind, right? But, but I, had to, I had to, as I got older, I had to realize uh, God, God wants me to work, but I was also made to enjoy life. Yeah. And that it's okay to take a day off. That it's okay to have a Sabbath. That vacation is a good thing. That, uh, that, that to have an evening at home with the kids and do nothing is great, you know? I literally had to learn that stuff, you know, because I was just so driven. Yeah. And uh, so I would say, you know, learning our story, spiritual friendship, but then also having spiritual practices that are, that are forming us deeply into the character of Christ. And, and sometimes I think we need these moments of reminder for that, don't we? Because you, totally do. You, as, as a child, a, a degree off as an adult becomes a lot further off, doesn't it? And mm. the choices grow up with us, often without us realizing that you need that moment of, hang on, I need to put things in place that are going to yes. deal with my stuff before it deals with me, basically. Well, and it's the, it's the idea, you, you said uh, a degree off. I love this image because, and I don't mean this in a panic-inducing way, but so let's imagine that, that I make a decision that's one degree off. So over a little bit of time and distance, one degree off doesn't matter, right? But over, over a lifetime of time and distance, that one degree can take me to a place I never thought I'd go to. So this, this idea of course correction. And, and I, I need, I'll just speak for me, one of the things I need in my life is I need, I need occasional course correction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I need some way to look at my life and go, is there anything that God wants to adjust? Is there anything that God wants to heal? Is there anything that God wants to grow up? Is there anything that God wants me to lay down? What does he want me to pick up? Because... Otherwise, we could just put our head down and in 15 years end up being someone we never imagined we'd be. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Can, can, you, um, can you speak into what, what does it look like to live well? You know, we talked about this the other day where you don't, you don't just tumble down the stairs and you, you're suddenly in a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. There's kind of things you've got to do and habits you've got to develop, isn't there? I love this, yeah. Um, no one becomes like Jesus on accident. Like, in fact, that may be what we talk about tomorrow morning, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah. like having a plan for your life, like no one falls down the stairs and then stands up and is instantly like Jesus. Uh, there have to be practices that, that bring me into being conformed into the image of his son. Yeah. You know? I do love what Paul says in... in uh, in Romans 8, he says that God has predestined us that we might be conformed to the image of his son. So there's this sense in which God is at work doing that, but there's this sense in which we also have to, to join that work. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's something about getting a plan to be like Jesus. Yeah. And, and as you grow over the course of your life, that plan needs to change based upon who I am, how old I am, do I have a wife? Do I have a husband? Do I have kids? Do we have a dog? Do, are we, do we, did we get new neighbors? You know what I mean? Like yeah. as life changes, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my plan for being like Jesus needs to grow as well. And, and part of, I think, what we're seeing with people hitting that wall at that age is they had hopes and they had dreams that maybe weren't fulfilled in the way they'd thought. I was mm. going to have this career. I was going to be married. I was going yeah. to whatever it might be. What, what, is, what does that look like when you have those unfulfilled moments that can cause you just to 
kind of be like, I'm out. I can't. Yeah. I've, I've lost it here. Well, I mean, if we were honest, I mean, how many, how many of us have watched somebody else's Instagram and got bummed about our lives, right? It's like, they're in the Bahamas and I'm, <laughs> I'm at McDonald's. <laughs> and I think this is so huge. I mean, we, we laugh. I think it's funny. But I also think it's like, man, the robots are winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think we've considered... I don't think we've considered the degree to which the algorithms are actually forming us. And this is why we need a plan to become like Jesus. And this is why we need some actionable things in our discipleship to change us and make us. Because we are all being formed all the time. Yeah. And like even, even our social media algorithms, they are changing us. Uh, Instagram knows me better than I know myself. Yeah. Um, Snapchat knows my kids. Uh, you know, I mean, it is unbelievable the ways in which technology is forming us. It's also unbelievable the ways in which media is forming us. And at least in my context, like the most, one of the most poisonous draws is uh, to be on a political team. Uh, tribalism is way up because people are afraid and they want, they want a team, you know to provide some security. So all of these things, you put all these things together and what, you, what comes into focus is, is man, I'm, I need a plan to be like Jesus. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise these, these invisible forces are working on, it's like gravity. Everybody right now is having gravity work on them. I don't feel it, I don't smell it, and I don't taste it, but it's keeping my butt in this seat, right? So there are forces that, at work on us in the world that we're oftentimes not aware of. And so we, we, need to, we, need to lean into, we need to lean into Jesus in a very profound way. Otherwise, we become formed by something that we never agreed to or we didn't check the box. Let's, let's just chat about that for a minute because I, I don't want to patronize these guys, but I grew up on the other side of it. So the, the technology thing for me, like we had phone boxes and... Yeah. Phones on a wire, you know, like my, my grandma and granddad had. What a, was that? My grandma and granddad had a um, phone that they shared with their neighbor, you know, and if you picked mm. it up, you could be chatting with them, chatting with someone else. But I, I think sometimes it's been helpful just to be on the other side of it. Mm. But, but we have to be, live in the reality that there's a generation that now walked through this, this is sometimes all they've known. And it is dictating culture and it's dictating patterns of living. And I'm not in any way trying to criticise technology because I think there's huge advances and it's massively helpful in certain ways. But it also has significant negative impacts, particularly around comparison and almost resets your ideals of what the world looks like. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do we do that healthfully? We were chatting about this even on the car journey on the way down. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's okay, but we've got to know what is not okay, haven't we? Yeah, that's really hard. I mean, like, the truth is... This is my precious, <laughs> my precious, you know? I understand that, uh, and I feel that way too. And um, yeah, we were, we, were, we were chatting that up. Like, what do we do? I mean, sometimes, sometimes Paul, I don't know, yeah. you know? Uh, but what I do know is that, that it's not technology alone that's the answer. It's, e it's easy to say technology is the problem and just be like, oh, it's technology, you know? But, 
But we don't want to be Luddites. It's not like we're trying to be Amish and go, well, this one moment in time when I was a, when I was a kid, the 80s, you know, when we had our shorts too short and we, like, that's the perfect moment. We'll just yeah. reset everything to then and then it'll be great, right? No, uh, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think it just requires critical thinking, yeah. right? So my concern is that we're living into a world that we didn't choose and we're living in a world that wasn't shaped for us or by us, right? Like, so even now, Zuckerberg, he's wanting to create the metaverse. Uh, I kind of think, so I have a friend who says the metaverse is already here. And by that, he means the metaverse is this moment in which we care about our digital life more than we care about our actual life. And at that moment, we've actually entered the metaverse. And by that metric, we probably have. So I think, I think A, just being aware of that, right? So, uh, Part of what I would say is like one of the things that Christians need to do is wake up to the fact that men and women who have no allegiance to Jesus are creating a world that we are living inside of. So it'd be one. Uh, number two, it would be awesome for some young people in this room to become uh, scientists and computer scientists and engineers and begin to shape the world that we're going to live in. I know that's a much bigger, that's a, like a massive thought, but like, like that's one thought I have. And then then number three, I think it's good for us when we can see that to go, well, what are the embodying practices that I can keep and maintain in my life? Because Christianity is fundamentally a, an embodied uh, practice. It's an embodied, if you want to use the word religion, I'm actually fine with that. It's an embodied faith. Yeah. Like Jesus has a body to this day. That is Christianity. It's not, it's not virtual, it's actual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember when we first planted the, um, uh, the church that we now lead the you can join all these like local group Facebook groups and all of that and we were in some and my mind was just been overtaken by like the crime in the area and so you start to paint this narrative of like we live in about it and then you just get this underlying like sense of fear mm. you know we're, we're going to be burgled or everyone and it actually it, it was a social media thing and mm. then we did this um whatever you might call it, like a blessing the community, like some of the teams took Easter eggs around to the local area, mm. left them on people's doorsteps, and the social media groups in the area were like, our houses have been marked, people are trying to work out <laughs> whether or not people are in. Something's and yeah, someone's going to try and burgle them. It was like, suddenly the church like developed this reputation for, well, they didn't know it was the church, but like we were marking people. And so I, I, I had a real moment of like, I need to step back and realize the influence that this thing is having on my mind, but also how it's affecting culture. It's not that it's wrong. It's no. not that it's all bad, but I got to take my part in understanding of the, the discipleship. No, I think that's good. And, and, you know, on the positive side, if it wasn't for technology, I don't know what would have happened to our church in the pandemic. Yeah. Right? Like it was a huge blessing. Like I, it's, it's a gift. And yet, without some critical thinking, it is, it is changing me. It is forming me. Critical thinking, that's a great, mm. that's a take-home, isn't it, really? A little bit there. Nice soundbite. How to do that. Yeah. Just the, the pandemic, I think, has sped up a number of things that were probably already there. So individualism, uh, consumerism, entitlement, something that as a generation, I'd say that they're broadly grappling with. I've also read some stuff that talks about um, people living alone is growing at the fastest rate ever, particularly for the under 35s and particularly in cities. And there's some, there's some stuff around that. Now, it's not, I'm not saying that's all wrong, mm -hmm. but I think my worry is there's like a, 
the, the cultural feeder is currently, I, the narrative is I don't need relationship. I can do church at home because I can now just access it online. Mm. I don't need to be part of a, a people, a community. I, it's actually easier. There's probably elements of it's easier to do church online. Yeah. I don't have to... I don't have to sit next to anyone I disagree with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I mean, for me, one of the definitions of church is to show up, into, show up to a place with a people I didn't choose mm. who, who invariably are unlike me. Yeah. I think that's actually a key component to church. Like when, when we get together at our Sunday morning gatherings, and this is true for every church, that's a group of people who would not show up to any school function. That is a mix of people who would not be a part of any football game or political rally. It is utterly and totally and completely unique to Jesus. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think having some people that you're committed to that you didn't choose is, isn't that what it means to be a family? Yeah. Who chose to be born? <laughs> no one chose to be born. That's how you know, like... <laughs> I didn't get to choose my, my, my sister, you know? I, I wanted a brother and I didn't get one. You know, it's like, yeah, I think that's how you know you're in a spiritual family is when you have, you're sitting in a row with people that in, in, uh, and there's no other circumstance by which you would have chosen that row of people. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's just Jesus. And there's something significant around the, the consumerism mentality, isn't it? Which really is unrestricted personal freedom. I can have what I want, when I want it, and now. And that is leaking into a, you know, like Amazon now is like, I don't even have to wait till the next day now. I no, can get it didn't. within an hour. Yeah. And I think that's affecting our discipleship, isn't it? It's affecting our relationships. It's affecting how we commit to each other. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, if Amazon can bring me my SD cards before the end of the afternoon, why can't, why can't God get on with it? Yeah. <laughs> like why, like Bezos is going to the moon. Yeah. Let's go, Jesus. What are we doing? <laughs> but those are real, like, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. just being silly, but those are actually, to your point, those are actually discipleship thoughts that happen. Yeah. You know, like I can get DoorDash to bring my lunch to me. I don't know. Do you guys have DoorDash? What do you guys have? Delivery. It's the yeah, same, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. There's, there's loads of them. Yeah. It's the same, same idea. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, and, and, yet, and yet, how long will it take me to, to grow kindness in my life? Like the actual fruit of the Spirit, kindness. Like not clenched teeth. So do you, do you see as well that the... All of this stuff is coming at us. You know, we're hitting this age where you kind of go like, I just need a bit of time out. And the, the thing that often happens is we go, we need margin. Yeah. So I need to step out, I need to step back. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we then start saying no to the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. We start saying no to community. We start saying no to the people of faith who are going to disciple us. Do you, do you see that? That it's that, that sometimes that some of the... In its negative, the language we start to use is like, I just need Sabbath. I just need complete break and freedom from, yeah. from all this. I pull back yeah. from the, the faith community. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, we could, we can, you could be like me. You could be like Enneagram 8. Like, I'm just going to work, you know? Yeah. I'm going to do stuff. And 
No one's going to stop me. I'm going to kick every door down and we're going to go do whatever it is that we need to do. And God's word to me is like, you need to enjoy your life and you need Sabbath. And then oftentimes what happens is, is we take that word and rather than having one day of Sabbath, we have six days of Sabbath and one day of work or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. And we begin to use even spiritual principles to hide behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's easy coming out of the pandemic to go, oh, I'm going to pull out of community or I'm going to pull out of church because of COVID, because COVID is the perfect excuse for anything you want it to be, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm just nervous or whatever, which is fine. I mean, some people should be nervous because they have health issues. But then also we can look at the things that God is beginning to build back in his church and just be like, oh, I've lost that muscle memory for gathering or I've, I've found it easier just to watch online or you know what? It was you know, I used, to, I used to lead hospitality or I used to, I used to MD the band, but, I, you know, it's, maybe I'd rather just let that go and yeah. read my Bible alone. And, and I do think there is a word from the Spirit for us to say, you know what, this is a season for us to lean back into to, to, to serving yeah. and, to, and to connecting with people and to living an embodied life again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's sometimes it's the moment of realization that that's even happening, isn't it? Can we just change tack slightly? I just, Let's do you've, it. You've got four children. I and, do. Uh, I'm like, that's amazing. And you, you haven't taken a step back from stuff going. Just some, sometimes I think it is the role of a leader. You just want to speak into something that's coming and yep. something that is ahead for people. And so that, that is quite a consuming stage of life to go through. Like even reading your Bible starts to become slightly stretched. There'll be people in this room who are going to feel a sense of guilt when they hit that phase of like, when was the last time I read my Bible? Can you just share some thoughts and reflections? Uh, about having kids and doing ministry? Yeah, kind of thing? yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, here's what I would say. Everything is teamwork, mm. right? So once you get into that stage of life where you have kids with your your wife and your husband. You just have to be a team like never before. Mm. But one of the things Heather and I did is we just like threw our kids in the car and just went and did the things we always did, you know? And we did that really well until we had three. <laughs> and it was like the third one was a, you've, you've seen that, you've seen that, uh, you've seen that, uh, what is it, Jim Gaffigan bit where he's like, Someone's like, what's, 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 it like to have, what's it like to have four kids? He's like, it's, it's like swimming with three, and then someone hands you a fourth one in the deep end or whatever, you know? And it's like, <laughs> that's really what it's like, you know? And so when we had one, kid one and two, we just, we just threw the kids in the car, and we just did everything we did. And when we had three, we got crushed. And we got crushed for two years. And I don't think anyone saw my wife for two years. And then we would, like, tag team, Right? Um, but one of the things that we saw was that we could, we could just take things in moments. Mm. And then this was really important. Like once, once you go to having three and four kids, you start playing zone rather than man-to-man -man defense. And <laughs> you just have to reorient your life. But one of the cool things is, is God will give you more capacity. Yeah. So we, we kind of got crushed for a little while, and then, then we came back. And then, and, and then our, you know, all of a sudden, your, your, other, your first two kids are up a little bit older, and they can do whatever it is they're going to do. And, and then at three, Heather and I were like tag-teaming more and more, yeah. like, especially at, at you know, church events and stuff. 
So there'd be a moment where I would go and she would keep the kids and then there'd be a moment she'd go and I'd keep the kids. We just had to do more of that until they got up to like three. And then once we got to three, like we're on again, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then by the time we had number four, he was our, he was our complete accident. There's, <laughs> there's, we were shocked. We were like, how did this happen? <laughs> Let's there's, not there's, go into that. There's eight years. <laughs> there's eight years between he and his sister but by the time we had him, the other three were like co-parents with us. Yeah. They'll probably go to therapy about that one day. <laughs> but, but it was like, four was no big deal. Three was like the backbreaker. It was like, oh. And, but then we just had to figure out a new rhythm to do the things that God had called us to do. Yeah. And there was grace for it. And you learn to trust people at church. And people at church help you with your kids. And I don't know. That was our story anyway. Yeah, no, it's powerful. Yeah. And we, we were chatting the other day just about even your time is not, not, it's not just a Sunday thing, isn't it? Your time is short and stretched. Yeah. And what did that look like just for, for you and your rhythms of personal time with Jesus? Yeah, so when we, especially when we had three kids, especially initially, all of my personal times with Jesus got totally jacked up. You know, and I, I've always been a Bible guy. I've always really like that's one of the main ways that I connect with God is like read the Bible. I love to read the Bible every day. So that's a part of my daily rhythm now. Yeah. I read the Bible every day. Oftentimes it isn't much, but I read something every day. I like to just think about it. But when, when we went into that moment of having three kids, that all got thrown under the bus. And I was reading you know, I was preaching every week, but reading the Bible three days a week. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then I had an older pastor come to me and was like, don't worry about it. Like, in another year, this is all going to be different. Again, it's that idea of like renegotiating moments. Yeah. Giving, giving yourself some breathing space to do the family thing well. I find I have to do like moments of things. Like, I'm like, I have to win at family for a while and win at church for a while and you know, and it's all, all, always being renegotiated. But then after we had that third kid, after about a year, all of a sudden my rhythm came back. Yeah. And I'm, I'm back to the Bible in a way that I used to be. That's good. I think that'll be liberating for some people just to hear that and see it that way. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a mom and you're at home with a kid or two, and they're both really little, and you don't have an hour and a half devotion every single day, like Jesus ain't mad. <laughs> yeah. He's not like, you know, I was going to bless you. Yeah. I was, I was going to do it, but you didn't spend 60 minutes with me today. You know, here's a piano. <laughs> and that's just not who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know we say that lightheartedly and I know we laugh, but actually that's really important. It is. Like, God is not petty. Yeah. I'm petty. God is not petty. Yeah. God is not small. Yeah. He's, he is generous and kind and magnanimous and effusive and wooing and patient mm. like these are this is who god is let's let's just jump on a, a bit as well can we just talk about the vineyard for a moment i, oh, I, love, I love this thing this has it. been the the family i've been healed been part of championed spurred on encouraged walked alongside through highs and lows and seasons of life and i was listening recently to Bob and Penny Fulton, some of the guys who were around right in the earlier days, and they were just talking about the simplicity of it. And I think so often, all of us can, you can have people come at you quite quickly with, here's my, here's my thing, here's my burden, here's my pain, and how are you going to help me? Come on, like, 
Pastor Adam, how are you, how, how you going to help me? And they were just talking about, t- take it to Jesus. You know, let's, let's take our stuff to Jesus. Uh, yeah, everything we've just talked about, it's helpful to have people speaking into your life. But first and foremost, take it to Jesus. Can you, can you speak into the, some of that stuff, some of the you love of what, what is cultivating in the vineyard, but even just the, the simplicity that we have? How do we, how do we access Jesus in that way? Yeah, um, if you listen to the early vineyard church mothers and fathers, there are a few words that come up over and over again. So you use the word simplicity. That's, that is a vineyard word. Um, another vineyard word that comes up over and over again with like Bob and Penny or Carol Wimber or Carl Tuttle, these, these early pioneers... Another word that's a vineyard word is desperation. Mm. So when they began the home group in Southern California that became the vineyard and led to us being in this room this this afternoon, um, they had no plan of creating a church planting movement. They were burnt out Christians who were desperate for God. Mm. That is like, that's, that's kind of like the vineyard story in a nutshell. So hunger, desperation, Simplicity, no hype. These are, these are not just vineyard words. They're like deeply ingrained vineyard values. They, they, they give shape to who we are. And they orient us in the way that we, we live our faith with Jesus. Yeah. I, I love that. And mm. I'm, I, I, know, I think it's a song you wrote in it about in our time, in our day, like God of our mothers. And the, yeah. I'm like, would he do that again in us? Would we have that simplicity and that desperation yeah. for Jesus? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you could even feel it in the room this afternoon. Yeah. There, you know, I, I, would, I would pull one of those vineyard worship or vineyard words out and put it in, into the room this afternoon. Like as soon as we began to sing this earlier at 2 o'clock or whatever, you could feel just desperate hearts in this room. Yeah. You know? It, it felt so good to be back. It felt so good to hear your voices. Yeah. Didn't it feel good to hear each other? It felt so good. It felt so good to feel the presence of God, to to just be back in this place. And it, so I, I, I think we were leaning into that even today. Yeah. yeah. I think maybe in a minute we'll just minister into that as well, if that's mm. all right. It's just one other thing. You might have some things you wanted to share that I haven't asked mm. you. One other thing I did want to ask you is, we've talked about transitions mm. in, the, in the vineyard. We're, we're a, a, a movement where some of the senior leaders are getting to that point of retirement, and you, you wanted to speak into some of that. I do, yeah. I mean, I think this is a really big deal, and I, I, I'm glad we get to talk about it like even now. Yeah. There are people in this room right now, and you're like, what am I, what am I doing in my life? You know, what am I here for? And I just want to say, maybe, maybe God is talking to you about taking, taking a vineyard church, maybe not even planting a church, but, but beginning to put your hand up and go, you know what, I think, I think maybe I'm called to be a pastor, and maybe I'm supposed to take over a transitioning church. I mean, that's my story. I didn't plant the vineyard in Campbellsville. Um, I received it from Ray Hollenbach, who is my spiritual father. Shout out, Ray. And um, this is a vineyard story now, like in the U.S., but then also here. Like, we have lots and lots of vineyard pastors who are getting to be in their mid and late 60s, and they're beginning to say, you know what? I'm going to turn this thing over. And this is a really pivotal moment. This is a moment in the vineyard, both 
in the US and in the UK for Vineyard leadership to move from baby boomer leadership to Gen X and millennial. And, you know, part of what God may be doing even this weekend at this event is beginning to mark out some men and women to do this church thing. You know, and we have a high value in the vineyard for church planting, but if we don't do transitions well, then we'll have church plants happening while existing historic churches die. Mm. And I don't think God wants to do that. So I just want to say to, to everybody in the room, you know, man, listen, there may be, there may be a nudge from the Spirit. He may, be, he may be calling you into vocational ministry in a way that, that you never imagined. And maybe, maybe we talk about church planting so much in the vineyard that you've assumed this, this thing that was growing inside of you was like, go to a new part of England or Ireland or Wales and plant a church, but maybe it's, maybe it's transition a church and receive one. Yeah, that's good. Could be. There's a guy, um, I think I saw him actually, there's a guy here um, who kind of spearheads some of that transition stuff that we're developing here in the, in the UK and Ireland, uh, Nigel Hemming, I'm pretty sure I saw him. He's around, he's doing a few things this weekend, he's in a few environments, he's doing a seminar. Go and see him. Some, some of you, I, I believe there's a word in that, that's actually going to stir for people in this room, isn't it? Mm. Amen. Are there, are there things, is there anything just almost as way of closing that I haven't asked you that you wanted to say that you were sending? No, I don't think so. I, I just want to say, I am so happy to be here, and the Lord is doing a work in the vineyard churches in UK and Ireland. Like, every time I'm here, I'm so deeply encouraged. Yeah. You know, and every time I meet your leaders and your worship leaders and your songwriters, I, I get encouraged to do it more, you know? Yeah. To, to lean into my call. So I just want to say, great to be here. Yeah, that's good. Amen.